0: Are you ready to get fired up? Welcome to the Spitfire Podcast. We're talking to Spitfire leaders in business, communities, and in their everyday life. Now, what makes someone a Spitfire? It's someone who is unapologetically themselves, who is aligned in how they think, speak, and act. It's a person who emits and exudes confidence, gratitude, and compassion wherever they go. It's someone who naturally sparks creativity, innovation, and trust with the people around them. It's an individual who recognizes and appreciates the Spitfire energy in others. Want to get activated? Make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also visit SpitfireCoach.com to listen to past episodes. Now let's spit some fire. Hey there Spitfires, it's your host Lauren Lemunyan, and I have some bonus material for you today. Last week we did a webinar as we do. We have monthly webinars available for you and this week we are bringing you the recording from the webinar from referee to coach. How to take your feuding team across the finish line. We talk about the difference in the roles of leadership when you show up as a referee and when you show up as a coach, and the three different plays that you can make to shift your team from conflict to collaboration, and I hope you enjoy it. If you want to see the video and all the slides, you can go to spitfirecoach.com, and under learn, you will see the replay. So enjoy. Let us know if you want to see future webinars. We've got them coming every month, and we're happy to share this with you today. Hey everyone, Uh, we are right on time at 11 o'clock and I just read an Instagram post that you want to reward the people who show up on time and not accommodate the people who make you wait. So we're going to go with that and we're starting right on time. As you can see, we are recording this webinar so you can go back and see it at any time. If I talk too fast, you could probably slow me down a little bit, but I might sound a little weird. Today we are talking about from referee to coach how to lead your feuding team across the finish line. And ideally, we wanna be able to transform the feud into a fantastic, fantastical, amazing experience within your team. So we're gonna be covering a lot today in 45 minutes. We've got this chat feature set up, so if you have any questions, feel free to use it. I've got Sydney with me, who's gonna hopefully keep me on track and provide any uh, information to you that you need and we're gonna get going. So we're gonna start with a poll. I like polls. I am so curious. How much time do you think you spent in the last week dealing with conflict? Less than an hour, two to five hours, six to 10? Feels like all day, every day. All right, let's see what you say. Oh, we we gotta cross the board here all right so it looks like two to five hours about half of you so we have one person feels like all day every day less than an hour yeah so i'm gonna go ahead and uh end this poll thank you for uh giving that feedback and uh we're going to share the results here so you can see them so this is the breakdown and this is actually on average how much time people are spending in conflict if you are a middle manager if you're managing people chances are you are dealing with conflict if you are out in the world you are dealing with conflict so two to five hours now that's a lot of time that's a lot of distraction and hopefully I'm gonna give you some tactics and tools and some frameworks to think about things so that you're not dealing with so much conflict just check the chat alright here we go so Here's what we're covering today. First of all, my name is Lauren Lemonion. Sorry for not, uh, I have to work on my manners. I am uh, this. Founder and CEO of Spitfire Coach. I'm a PCC level coach actually pursuing my master certified coach credential with the International Coaching Federation. I have over 2,600 hours coaching teams, individuals. So a lot of what we're covering today are things that I have seen and experienced within teams. It's research that I've looked into and themes that I've collected to hopefully give you more awareness so that you feel better equipped in handling yourself, your team and outside. So we wanna be able to see where we are, where are we starting from? What are the impacts of the world, of extreme stress? We're gonna talk about VUCA. If you've never heard about VUCA, I'm gonna blow your mind. And there's actually a new acronym that I'm gonna mention, but we're not gonna spend too much time on. And then we're gonna talk about the roles, the pros, the cons of being a referee. I wore my stripes for you. I felt very on theme today and the difference between being a referee and using coaching leadership. And then I promise to give you at least three moves, maybe more to get your team back on track. Sound good. Can I get a thumbs up? I don't know if we can do emojis here. (laughs) If you want anything else answered, feel free to put it in the chat. I am happy to uh, take on more questions. All right. Oh, and today is two, 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 two. It is my favorite day. I actually have a whole closet full of tutus that I will be rocking later today. <laughs> so let's talk about where we are. I'm very high energy right now, but let's be real. People in the workplace are not high energy. They are they are drained. They have been experiencing a VUCA environment. I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. They've been experiencing extreme stress, otherwise known as chronic stress. There has been sustained trauma from two years of a pandemic there has been compounded grief from the pandemic from the loss of life from the loss of the life we thought we knew and we are under a mental health crisis that no one is really talking about that we all know exists but this is what is impacting all of us on a day-to-day whether we're aware of it or not so let's just first take a pause this is where we are we are still not out of this pandemic even with mandates changing, we are still adjusting and trying to figure out what is actually happening. Where do we go next? And it feels like we're all holding our breath or we're anticipating the next shoe to drop, and that is what creates stress. Let's talk about VUCA. Anybody heard of VUCA before? If you've done a uh, <laughs> if you've done a workshop with me, you've probably heard it cuz I this is what I really just want people to understand. VUCA was coined in the 80s. It's kind of a military term. They like the simplified like it's VUCA. VUCA stands for volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous. So volatile means it is always changing. We got high highs, low lows. It's kind of like, you know, if you're into Bitcoin, look at the ups and downs there and actually like it's probably more stable than what we've actually felt emotionally. And then from that volatility, we have uncertainty. So if we don't know what's coming next, we are uncertain of what's going to happen. And so our brains are looking to maintain homeostasis always. It's looking for patterns. It's looking for information so that it knows what it can plan out. If you've ever been uncertain, what's the first thing your brain does? It starts to map out all these different scenarios because it wants certainty so much and we crave it. We crave it as human beings. We like to know when am I getting my next meal? Where am I going to be warm? Where am I sleeping? You know Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Very much based on the bottom rung of primary needs. And a lot of people have a lot of uncertainty about that. A lot of people are living paycheck to paycheck, wondering what new expense is gonna come in. What change is gonna happen in my income? Is my relative gonna be sick? If you're a caregiver, is my loved one gonna be okay? Is my kid gonna have school tomorrow? Am i going to have to stay home from work these are things that you have probably experienced and your employees or your team members are absolutely experiencing so we have to understand that with that volatility and that uncertainty it creates a complexity and if we don't know where even data points are or where connector points are we don't know how to build strategies to get there so we're thinking i need to figure out my life in six months a year six years i need to plan for college i need to do all these things But we can't even figure out the next six hours. We can't think beyond the next six hours. It's actually impossible to do that because we don't have enough information. And then from that, there's an ambiguity that comes from it. That's the clarity that we have. I can't tell you how many coaching sessions I have with people that say, I just need clarity around this. Well, what does that mean? Well, I need to know what's certain. I need to know where I stand. I need to know what my role is. I need to know what's expected of me and in this constantly changing volatile uncertain and complex environment it is next to impossible to have clarity and so you couple that external environmental issue or that environmental situation and then you bring it into a workplace which is already naturally vuca if you have any stress friction going on then we're compounding the amount of stress so imagine your environment at home is VUCA, your workplace is VUCA. And then as you look out into the world where you could have escaped, that's VUCA too. Imagine what's happening. I need to take a deep breath. Do you? <sighs> yeah. So that's the first step we need to acknowledge where we are starting from because by ignoring it, by imagining that we're somewhere else or people should just get over it, we are discounting their experience. We're discounting our own experience and we're not allowing our employees and our team members to be human, to include them in. This is inclusion, guys. We have to understand that everyone is experiencing things in their own way and we have to create the space for them to do that. And we have to create the space for ourselves to do that. Where are we processing all of this change? Now I use this example with these lines because I worked with a group and they were really awesome because they were so in touch with empathy and connectedness with each other, but they felt like everything was uncertain. And the reality was they were doing so many things that actually were bringing them certainty in their routine. They were connected with each other. They trusted one another. And a lot of times when we feel like we are hyper-stressed and we're going to talk about extreme stress in a little bit, we forget what our options and opportunities are. So we think everything's impossible. We think everything is going to crap in a handbasket. I didn't curse, I'm very proud of myself. Um, But we've lose sight of what we actually have in front of us, what we can actually do. And I think this is the reminder of when things feel volatile, what feels constant? When things feel uncertain, what are we certain about ourselves, certain about our team, certain about our colleagues? And how do we harness that? to move forward. So let's talk about extreme stress. Extreme stress is also known as chronic stress. And these are some examples of things that will trigger extreme stress. Death of a loved one. Guess what happened in the last two years? A lot of death. Divorce. A lot of relationships were stretched to the brink. Loss of a job. Increase in financial obligations, if we're taking care of more people, if our loved one lost their job, if we are the breadwinner, we feel immense pressure. Getting married, moving to a new home, chronic illness or injury, emotional problems. These are emotional situations. Like, mental health has such a stigma still to this day, and we need to be able to create space for our employees to talk about it. If they are experiencing depression, anxiety, anger, grief, guilt, low self-esteem, what systems do we have in place within our workplace to take care of them? Do we have mental health options? Do we have opportunities for them to talk to a third party, to talk to a licensed professional? A lot of companies don't. And I will tell you the difference in your hiring retention and recruitment when you start focusing on the well-being of employees will exponentially set you apart. This is one of my clients. Coaching is their number one job benefit as rated by their employees. And why do you think that is? Because they have space to talk about the things that weren't okay to talk about in other places. They get to show up as themselves. But imagine having all of these factors of extreme stress. We've all been touched by this in some capacity, and we have to acknowledge, you know what? We're all dealing with this. So what are we gonna do? How are we gonna take care of each other? So let's talk about the stats here. Because if you think, oh, we're just a little stressed out, you just gotta take a vacation. Like, you know, just take some time off. Everything will be better when you get back. The reality is what you leave the office with is what you come back to the office with unless you have a system to process it, unless you are having a daily practice in order to deal with it. So stressed employees, so extreme stress, have a 60% higher absenteeism, meaning they're missing work. And they are significantly less effective at work. These are probably people who, when they're not stressed, are high achievers. They're probably amazing influencers in a positive way with other people, but under stress, they are triggering stress reactions in other people. It's a very addictive energy. So we have to be conscious about when we notice it, we have to say something. We have to be able to create that space for people to be able to process. Presenteeism, if you're not familiar with this term, this is when people are coming to work stressed, but they're they're underperforming, they're disengaged. So they're showing signs of a drop of productivity in 77, by 77%. That is huge. So imagine they're coming to work and three fourths of the time they're there, they're, they're distracted. I mean, how can you be focused if you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders? if you're exhausted from staying up with a loved one, if you've got conflict in your household, this is affecting people. So they're either not coming to work or when they are coming to work, they might be distracted or distracting other people. That's the thing about stress. It is self-protection. So what it does is it, it creates this wall. So this is where we have gossip, where we have teasing, sarcasm, where we might be unkind to other people, it shows up in a variety of ways, whether it's a subtle eye roll or a nasty gram coming through email or instant messenger, or it's a private uh, chat room. I've heard about this popping up too. So this this energy loves to attract in other energy that's similar to it. So if we notice it and we allow it to continue, we are saying this is okay for our culture within our teams and within our organization. So I wanna highlight this, and I know I'm getting intense, but this is the Spitfire way. Once you know, you can't unknow, and if you are not actively working to shift the narrative, to shift the culture, you are an inactive participant, but you are still participating. You are still allowing it to happen. So what does this mean, dollars and cents? Mental health America, suggests that stress costs U.S. employers $500 billion in lost productivity, and 200 billion of that is from lost work. Also imagine 40% of turnover is related to stress. People will leave jobs if they're stressed out. They will go where they're less stressed. If there's any infighting happening, they will probably go, or they'll become completely dejected. And the cost to replace people is 50% for an entry level, 150% of their salary for mid-level, and almost 250% of salary for a senior C-suite level person. The cost is real. Now, I promise that this is not all doom and gloom. I wanted to set the stage for you because this is real talk. I'm not here to tiptoe, I'm not here to blow smoke. This stuff is real, it is already happening. The great resignation, whatever you wanna call it, I'm more concerned about the people who are staying, this presenteeism people who are impacting your teams, who are leaking the energy around that you see that you don't think is a big deal, that you think it'll just resolve itself. And that's the difference in what we're gonna talk about. Stress is charged energy and energy needs a place. And if you don't give it a place, where do you think it's going within your team members? Where do you think it's going? It's not going to the happy recycling bin where it's turning into amazing, positive energy. It is going everywhere, everywhere where, it will, where there's an opening. So we need to be very conscious about where's the space we can give this energy to go so that people can process. Okay. I want to talk about this for a little bit. What we're talking about conflict, frustration, anger, criticism, gossiping, disengagement, sarcasm. These are the things that you probably are seeing when there is high conflict in your teams when there's feuding. All of this started as friction, friction. There was a misaligned value or expectations between them and another person, them and the team. Somewhere along the lines, somewhere along the way, there was friction that went unnoticed or unaddressed. And it grew into a larger scale and deeply rooted resentment. And resentments can show up in three ways. And we're actually gonna do a webinar on this on the 23rd of March. Sydney's gonna put the link in, in the chat. It's a free webinar, but resentment show up on three levels. We have surface level annoyances where we're like, oh, did they just say that again? Okay. Then we have mid-level frustrations where we might get affected for an hour or two of like, I can't believe they did that again. Like, why do they always do that? And why do I have to work with them? And oh, so frustrating. And then We have the deep-seated rage, where we literally get knocked off our days, our weeks, boiling up at the sight of someone's name. And we all have resentments. We have hundreds of resentments. I've been doing this process for like the last four years, and I'm still pulling up my own resentments and processing them. We all have them, but not everyone, nobody really knows what to do with them or even had a name for it. So this is where we can start to think about what we can do once we notice that there's conflict, how do we pull it back to the point of friction and find resolution? You see, the problem is, is all of these things on the left side get personalized. They get interpreted and translated into the story and in story are assumptions and assumptions go on and on. And we all know about assumptions. Everybody's got one. Um, but if we don't address the facts, if we don't create space, we can't be objective and then we get pulled in to being a referee when really we want to be a coach. We want to be able to guide. We don't want to be blowing our whistle all the time. So which role are you playing? And I'm going to put another poll up cause you know, I like them. So response to conflict. How do you typically respond to conflict from colleagues when you notice it? Do you let them vent and hope it goes away? Do you listen to them and offer suggestions? Do you try to fix their problems? Do you bring the parties together to bridge the gaps? Do you defer to HR or someone else, or do you avoid it at all costs? I know some of you wanna pick multiple ones, but what's the one you're most likely to do? Okay. So we got fair amount saying, listen to them and offer suggestions, bring them together. Nobody's avoiding it. Interesting. (laughs) Are we being honest? (laughs) All right. I'm waiting for a couple more of you. Give it a couple seconds. All right. I'm going to end the poll. All right, here we go. So It's a split between listen to them and offer suggestions and bring the parties together to bridge the gaps. Okay, so I have a feeling a lot of you are are very conscious because I know that some of my clients are listening and bravo to you. Um, I'm gonna assume that you have never experienced coaching and have no idea. Um, And so a lot of people will actually say, well, I gotta fix it for them. Um, Or I have to let them vent because that's what they need. And the reality is we may be doing more harm in doing that. We may be setting them up to continue that pattern of venting. So I want to talk about the referee and we're talking about football. We have some international, uh, some global viewers. So uh, football or soccer uh, is the ref here. So this is one of the linemen with the, with the flags and the role and the goal of the referee is to make sure that rules are followed, that people are safe. And they function by looking for issues. So they're constantly scanning the field. Are you off sides? Are you fouling? Are you, you know, out of position? So they're constantly looking for problems. They stop action and they stop the play. So they're stopping the workflow when they notice something. They interrupt and they correct. They maintain structure and boundaries. If it goes out of bounds, who kicked it out? So they're constantly looking for the right and wrong. This person is in the right spot. This person is the wrong spot. This is the decision. It's a very quick pace. They also chase up and down the field. They're constantly in reactive mode. Now the pros of a ref is they have authority, you know, you blow the whistle, it stops, people listen and it gets immediate response. The cons, as the ref, it can be exhausting, running, looking, you can't possibly have your eyes on everyone and you can get your calls wrong. How many times have you only seen something from one perspective only to realize that you didn't have all the information and you're like, oh my God, I, I just totally criticized someone about this and I didn't realize that that was their perspective or I didn't give them the chance to explain themselves. I had no idea that they you know, were stressed out or tired or whatever. And this isn't about excusing bad behavior, but we have to understand where it's coming from in order to get resolution. So the other con of the of the ref is it doesn't stop long-term conflict. It is a short burst of, you know, stop fouling, stop talking, <clears throat> excuse me, stop disrespecting one another, stop doing this. It's a very much stop doing this, stop doing this, stop doing this. But what it's not doing is saying, here's what we need to start doing. Here's what we want to create. Here's where we're moving towards. It's very reactive of I don't like this, correct it. It's kind of like the enforcer. So What can happen is you may have the best intentions as the ref, blow the whistle, get involved, but what happens when the two sides don't like the call you made? Or don't like that you picked one side and not theirs? You're gonna get in the middle and you inadvertently become the target. And it can create further divisions between the sides. And if you're a team, You can't have divisions. It's just going to create so much conflict that two to five hours that you might be spending on conflict is going to turn into five to six to seven to eight. And before you know it, you're going to feel like the person who is dealing with it all day, every day. The bigger issue here is it's a very micro view. So imagine you're tired, you're stressed from dealing with other people's stress. You're already having a micro view. What are you missing? What could you be missing? that would be super helpful in having a future vision with your team. So I wish I had a coaching uniform that I could transform into, but you know, just imagine that that's happening. Um, I did have a bomber jacket I was gonna put on, um, but that didn't work out. So imagine I'm transforming into the coach. Ready? The coach brings a group of individuals together to create a team and achieve a shared goal or objective. Now this isn't just about winning and scoring goals or points, but about communicating, we are here to do X, Y, Z together. Our mission is to do this together, to get that buy-in, to get that energy and alignment. If if you've ever seen Ted Lasso, I mean, when I was coming up with this webinar title, I immediately thought of Ted Lasso, Um, but even Ted Lasso has flaws. He's got his own stuff he's processing. And that's part of it. You can be a human coach. You can have your own stuff you're working through. And in fact, being able to relate makes you an even better coach. So this is using coaching skills in order to lead people forward. So a coach prepares the team through practice and learning. This is learner safety. If you know anything about the four stages of psychological safety, this is that second phase. Once we have included people in, allow them to feel like they belong, They then feel safe, practicing, learning, making mistakes, getting back up, tweaking, shifting, asking for help. That's how you know you have learner safety. And then from that, we can create game plans together. We can create overviews. The coach is there to pinpoint the goal. We're working towards X, how do we do it? Let's come together, create solutions. And the coach clearly communicates objectives and the risks. So what are the potential obstacles or roadblocks that could come up? Where are the competing priorities? where the energy drains and pulls. This is not an option of like, okay, tell me what you hate about your teammate. Uh, tell me what they need to change about themselves. We want to be forward thinking here. So understanding we want to get to this place in the future and asking for input of what's going to drive us here. There is tons of neuroscience that connects to this, of this positive psychology. What we focus on is where our energy grows where our focus goes, our energy grows. So if we are constantly focused on what's not going well, what didn't work in the past, we are thickening that wire. We are connecting people to their deficiencies. If we wanna create a new future, a new positive approach with our teams, we have to point them to the future goal. We have to all align on those things and agree because otherwise the friction, when not addressed, turns into something else. So the coach can also notice We are having friction, so I'm gonna call a timeout. I can pause the play. I can pull people aside one-on-one in small groups. I can see where there's friction and I can help adjust. The pros of being a coach, you're super adaptive. You can be super inspiring and motivating, and there's also coaches who are not that use kind of the iron fist. I don't recommend it. It's exhausting. You can call a timeout. You can lead without doing. This is where I talk to a lot of my clients about the difference between doing, helping, being, and modeling. A lot of people think I have to do the work or I have to help people, but the ultimate leadership role is to model the behavior that you want to see in others, to become that positive example. The coach also looks for opportunities and strengths in situations and individuals. Imagine being the person who says you are awesome at doing this. I loved your approach around this. It energizes people from the inside out. We talked about extreme stress. One of those is self-esteem. If we have low self-esteem, we can't see what's good in ourselves. We can't we don't we don't notice it. So imagine being the person that highlights the special gifts in other people. We all have them, and you can be the change in other people. You can make the workplace somewhere that people would love to be that that is their safe space. Now, one of the cons about the coach is we get invested in people and in outcomes, and we feel responsible for it. And this is where you need to be aware that you can only take it so far. And ultimately, it is up to other people to show up to be accountable to their agreements, and to also own when they make missteps or mistakes. That is not up to you. You can notice things, but you are not there to change other people. People have to want to change themselves, but you are there to plant seeds of awesomeness for that future vision. And coaches can also feel really limited in their ability to influence those outcomes. We all want people to feel successful. We all want to feel like we're going to win, but there's outside factors. There's the VUCA environment. So as a coach, as a leader, We have to understand what is in our control and what is outside of our control. What is my role? What is your role? Where do we have shared roles? And when do we know when we're going out of scope? So it is a daily check-in. Where am I in alignment? Where am I out of alignment? Where can I adjust? Where can I shift? So here's the side-by-side. So you can see it all together. I just have a question. Uh, Which side do you want to be on the referee or the coach as a leader? You can use the chat. Just curious. Coach with an exclamation point. (laughs) The coach, awesome. I want to be the coach. Definitely the coach. Fantastic, Kate. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. So you will have more energy. You will be more successful in achieving your deadlines. You will feel so inspired and inspiring as the coach. And I'm going to give you three quick wins in order to support being the coach. But this is all part of really being able to have a Spitfire culture I've been spending a lot of time on my frameworks understanding it and the first step is to build trust and psychological safety. And I will tell you, most people are skipping this, they're going into this, we have to create, we have to be innovative, we have to challenge one another, we got to be better, things are just work. Well, no, there's work that goes into doing that work. We have to create the safe spaces. We have to create trust within one another. We have to have that psychological safety. First and foremost, inclusion safety. Before we can activate leadership skills, before we can have innovation in our mindset, we have to create space first. So here are the quick wins. This goes along with with a lot of the, the pros about being a coach. So call a time out. Reset and restate the goal and objectives. You can do this in a small meeting. You can do this one-on-one with people. Wherever you feel like you have the most influence, do this. Talk about what inspires you, what your goals are around the team, what you want the culture to represent, and then ask for feedback. What gets you most excited? What do you wanna be recognized for? What do you want this environment to look like and feel like? So once we notice that we have friction, call the time out. I didn't realize I was gonna use so many sports cliches, but it really works. (laughs) So call the time out, bring people together, and reset, restate the goals and objectives, and also the mission, the mission of your culture. What are you all about? And if you are in, let's say, an ever-changing VUCA or toxic environment, this is how you create a team ecosystem. You create that little safety bubble where you create trust with your inner circle initially, so that you can navigate and be really effective and productive in that zone. The second one is to cheer on improvements when you see them, when you hear about them. See something, say something. This is not just about seeing things that are wrong when we see friction. We also need to cheer people on when we notice positive shifts. And I think a lot of people miss this because they're like, well, you know, they're just doing their job. That's what we pay them to do would you ever want that said to you? I've had that said to me a lot. Like, we shouldn't recognize people for doing their job. It's like, well, do we want to keep them? Do we want them to stay and to be energized? Or do we want them to feel like they're part of this, to feel like they're part of the culture? So cheering on could just say, you know what, I I really enjoy what you had to say, or I really saw that you stepped in and helped out your, your team member when they were having a hard time. Or, you know what, I loved your attitude on a call that I saw you on. Those are small things that mean the world to people, and it costs you nothing. And guess what? What we focus on is what we attract in more of. So guess what we're gonna continue to see more of? Positive things. So guess what we're not gonna be spending our energy on? Dealing with conflict. Because what ends up getting sent to your team, that signal that's sent is, I get recognized for doing good. I get recognized for stepping up. Versus I get attention by creating conflict. Imagine if it wasn't just the squeaky wheel, but if it was the wheel that was gaining traction and momentum within teams that got the attention that really set things apart and you showed people how to actually be a part of that rather than compare. If you show people a pathway forward it starts to click. If they create their own pathway forward, they are that much more energized and motivated to move things forward. So we're gonna call a timeout. We're gonna reset and restate. We're gonna cheer on improvements no matter how small. And we're gonna create space for team members to safely practice and improve. Now, what does that mean? If you don't feel comfortable as a leader, you can suggest trainings. There's so many online trainings for different areas, but it's asking for permission first. So I, I noticed that we talked about you wanting to be, you know, a better manager or, or move into a management position. Tell me what areas you feel like I can support you with. What do you think it takes to be a better manager? What on a scale of one to 10, how, like, where do you think you are now? Where do you wanna be? You can actually create a development plan with them. So that's for more of training of soft skills or more technical skills, but also create space for them to come and talk to you about things that maybe they don't want to talk about in a safe in a in a more public venue. Like if there is something going on with them at home. What's the process? Is HR there? Do you have a coaching program? Do you have a mentorship option? Is there, you know, a therapy line that people can can move into? Are you providing that? We are dealing with more compounded stress than we ever had. I have had more intense conversations in what used to be very fun, lighthearted dynamics. This is where we are right now. And if we are not creating this space for people, they are holding it inside and it is festering. And we have an amazing opportunity to be leaders and game changers in taking care of people. And those are the people that will invest back in you tenfold, that will brag about you to their to their uh, previous co-workers and maybe they'll come work for you. They're gonna be telling their friends and family, they're gonna be bragging about you. This is where we can really shape the way that we treat our, treat employees and change the way that we recruit and retain talent. But we have to start with these small changes by noticing, by celebrating and by creating space for people to learn and grow and communicate and to really expand understanding. So, if you want to create a Spitfire culture in your organization, if this sounds exciting to you because this is a very quick fire webinar and I left some time for questions so we can absolutely dive into that too. Feel free to schedule a complimentary discovery call, 15 minutes, Uh, Sydney's going to drop the link in the chat if you're interested, it's also on the website. Um, feel free to do it. I'm happy to chat. Uh, we have an assessment that we look at as far as where you're, you're showing up, where you, we might need to focus some energy and attention. And we can talk about all this stuff. We have tons of resources on the website as well. And we also have uh, five coaches that have joined on and we're super excited because uh, we have a Spitfire squad and it's awesome. Uh, and also, I mentioned resentments. If you are interested in learning more about resentments, whether it's annoyances, frustrations, that deep-seated rage, and what you can do to make them work for you, on March twenty-third at, at eleven thirty Eastern—I'm sorry, eleven Eastern—I'm putting on a, uh, a webinar about it. It'll be forty-five minutes because your time is valuable. Um, you can go to Spitfire Coach, or uh, there will be a link dropped again in there, and you can sign up. It is complimentary. Feel free to send it along to anybody uh, that you think. Might find it useful, and uh, here's how to get connected to me. So, Lauren Lemunyan, and uh, the website's there. But if you have any questions, feel free to put them in the chat. Uh, we'll be hanging out. I'm gonna stop the share. What do we got? And if you wanna raise your hand, we can unmute you if you wanna ask a question. Can you share the three phases of the Spitfire culture share? Absolutely. Let's do that. Here we go. All right, here you go, Bob. Yeah, so these are the three phases and there's different um, areas of focus that we do. We have different um, offerings that are in all of these, but the trust and safety focuses on building tighter bonds, we do a lot of facilitation here, we go through the four stages of psychological safety, and there's a team assessment. So we can look at behaviors that need shifting and adjusting in order to create more safety. So we can see where your organization is showing up on those four different levels. Um, And then we create a 30 day action plan uh, for people who are interested there. And we also do a lot of resentment release in that space. Any other questions? Do You have any specific question around that, Bob? Nope, just want to see the slide again. And this is all on the website, at spitfirecoach.com. And we have it all written out and we can talk about it too, if you want to schedule a call. So we've got about five. Okay, so resentment release. Okay, so what does resentment release look like for some of the folks you work with? Okay, great question. Uh, so actually some people on this call uh, have had it done. It's uh, so it is a, uh session we call them resentment release in uh intensives and so we typically start on the uh first two levels uh because the the deepest level takes a lot of work to get there Um, but essentially what it does is it takes an experience from the past and it removes the emotional story from it so resentments start from an experience we've had and it gets retold And it elicits an emotional response that then creates physical pain that blocks us from our bigger purpose. So I've seen resentments connected to former bosses, colleagues, uh, a friend from childhood uh, that keeps coming back, a parent, a sibling. But ideally, we focus on kind of this frustration of like, I just can't seem to work with this person. I don't understand like why I can't get past this, like why I have this block around it. And so the resentment release re-identifies it as a block or something that stops us and allows us to take our responsibility around the story to then own how we want to retell the story. So in the uh, example of a past boss who maybe treated us poorly, that's now kind of resurfaced in in the same personality type of someone we work with. We can see, well, how did this help us? How did this move us forward? What did we learn? And then what we do is we create what we call a QRT or a quick response thought that allows us to reapply it. So when we think of that person, the new thought comes in, and it opens up more space. And so people are like, I'm so much lighter, Um, I now have an ally in this person, and it's, it's lasting change, and it starts to really expand in other similar dynamics that used to hold them back. So once you've had the first resentment release, you now know the initial process to move you forward so that you can apply it to other people or other situations. That was a very long-winded answer. (laughs) So we all have resentments. They are anything that hold us back from the past. Okay, do you find this challenging to offer to folks in organizations that have culture that don't allow emotional expression beyond the conventional notion of what's professional and how might you get them to the point where leaders might greenlight that for their people? Yeah, absolutely. So this is why resentment release intensives are done one-on-one, they're private. Um, we do an initial workshop to help like, exactly what we're going to do next month to give people an understanding that just like bias, we all have resentments. And so, we don't ask people to share that, but to help understand that friction conflict is usually stemming from a past resentment. And so that's where the investment comes in. So it shows up like you can make the investment around coaching and then it's up to the individual if they want to use the resentment release process. That's how we've always approached it because it is always client led. It is never um, employer focused forced or focused um, because nobody wants to be called out as you have a deficiency. We're offering it as a way to offload, to open, um, and it's been super effective for people. Thanks so much, Brian, you're awesome. <laughs> so I hope that you all uh, will check out the Resentment release. I'm really excited about it. I'm one of a handful of people that's certified in it. Um, it's been a game changer in my own life, my own business, um, and for my clients. like. I wouldn't keep preaching about it if I didn't think it was amazing and a a complete game changer. And I think it is what will allow people to really offload the compounded trauma and extreme stress that they've been experiencing. They're going to actually have a place to put it um, and to actually allow it to help them beyond just feeling more resilient. They're actually going to feel empowered to change the energy and the environment that they're in. So thank you so much. This has been a great way to uh, start two, 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 the Mega Tuesday on a Tuesday. It's also Taco Tuesday. I think it's National Taco Day. So if you like tacos, go get some tacos, Um, all good. Thank you so much for spending uh, this time with me. If you have more questions, feel free to email me. Um, We got taco emojis, that's fantastic. (laughs) Thanks so much. We'll have this recorded and uh, y'all have a fantastic day and keep spreading those positive vibes. Bye.